Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Game Table! Hello, it is The Game Table again. I'm Seamus Byrne. And on this show, we talk about all the things that aren't really the digital kinds of games. So there's other shows that I hang around on. If you want to listen to digital games, this is the one where we get together physically around a table and hang out and share good times. And so that's why it's in fact called The Game Table. But someone who isn't sitting directly across from me sharing a table uh, (laughs) is Nathan Cox. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Really good. It would be great to actually get a chance to sit down in person and play some stuff. Most times we've caught up, we're talking about playing things rather than indeed <laughs> engaging in the act of playing. So I'll have to rectify that on one of my trips down to Melbourne sometime soon. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> um, so this week I wanted to kick off by, um, there's kind of a couple of different things going on. Mostly I think some board game stuff, but then um, we're going to delve into a bit of new D&D news. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, last week I did a bit of a special episode uh, where I got the kids in and they helped uh, walk through a bit of a review of the new Dungeon Mayhem expansion, Monster Madness, which is the... Some of the best character names ever. Right? Like just <laughs> the cleverest stuff. And that, that's the really big thing that I think I wanted to kind of just touch on this week was, you know, it was kind of great to get their perspective. They went really deep on the first... Um, when the first expansion came out and there were six... Uh, six character decks available. Uh, we were on a like a family holiday with some other family friends, and so there were six kids, and they actually ended up just like playing that for hours and hours. And <laughs> you know, it's like a very 10 15 minute round kind of a game, but it was great to then, you know, go, All right, well, they have played this more than certainly more than <laughs> I have, probably more than a lot of people. Um, and to get their kind of take on the new stuff um, mm. was really cool. But the thing that kind of jumps out for me is that it's totally the kind of game where you go, it's the theme that carries the fun of that game. It's like the the mechanics are quite simple. You can definitely get quite sort of clever and there's sort of, you know, some interesting um, combo sort of opportunities that come up through it. But I think the really kind of big thing that really does stand out for me and, you know, I think it's, it's something to kind of talk about in general about these kinds of short form card games is almost that idea where the art, the clever kind of writing around it is almost the thing that carries the fun rather than trying to sort of get into the nitty gritty of how mm-hmm. how advanced or how clever the actual mechanics are. Uh, I think there's a, yeah, I was just thinking um, as you were hmm. talking about that. So there's quite, I'm I, like, I'm typically speaking, a pretty mechanics heavy board game. Yeah, right. Yeah. So my my collection is largely big, gigantic, heavy Euros or heavy um, sort of uh, war game adjacent games from GMT. <laughs> yeah. 
that are huge on mechanics and, and some of them are also huge on the theme, but it's it's the mechanics that are driving them. But as you were mentioning it, I do actually have like there's a number of games I've got that the theme carries the game quite a bit. And there's some balancey stuff like um, you know, Kingdom Death Monster, which I do enjoy the mechanics of quite a bit, but it's also just a, a cool theme that I love exploring. But the, one of the, the first games, well the first few games that popped into my head one's called uh, red dragon Inn, and this is probably the best example i can think of one that the theme is everything yeah right uh, do you know this game at all no no i haven't so red dragon Inn is a parody of dungeons and dragons tropes okay yep <laughs> it's a very very simple game um everybody is handed a deck of cards and the deck of cards is essentially representative of your character and the whole thing is that we're D adventurers we've been out we've slain dragons and killed kobolds and we've got the treasure and we're back at the inn with our uh you know with the treasures that we've gained and uh we're spending it on booze (laughs) and at the same time trying to swindle each other out of the cash that we have obtained (laughs) nice um so very very silly setup and the range of characters is absolutely gigantic i did a kickstarter many years ago and i think there's you'd be looking at 50, 60-odd characters that they've created now, and they're just represented by a deck of cards. And basically, you just play cards, but just touching on that theme thing, every group I play it with, the first group I ever played it with, they had a rule, and they was, that was when you play a card, you don't just play the card. You've got to play the card and read out the flavor text, and you have to do it in character. Nice. <laughs> and that's not a rule in the game, but it elevates it so much to do that because there's just not that much to it's 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 a bunch of take that sort of stuff so he goes <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know i play this card that um you know i cast a seduction spell on your character and i get to take some of your money and somebody's like ah well i play this you know rebound spell and like it's very very basic sort of silly stuff but um so it, it just so much fun gets injected to this into this game when people start actually talking you know playing out the roles and thankfully you're unique personalized deck of cards really plays heavily into um into the role and there's also this other wonderful thing this is a great drinking game um because it is a game about drinking uh you have (laughs) to you can get knocked out of the game the the purpose of the game is basically to basically knock everybody unconscious by (laughs) either fighting them or getting them so drunk they pass out and you're the last person standing and you run away with all the coin (laughs) um uh but yeah so you've got there's these drink cards that come out. So you're constantly basically drink challenging other people in game. You don't have to play this game with drinks at all. Yeah. Um, and they'll flip over these drink cards and it'll indicate how much their alcohol level goes up. And right. it's just very, very silly, very, very simple, simple. It even has a gambling mini game in it to which they also released an expansion that gave you the game that is being played for gambling. So when the gambling round comes up, rather than playing out with the cards, you go to a different deck of cards and actually play this gambling game. Anyway, that's rather by the by. But yeah, just very silly and and just so much fun delving into that theme and everybody just, yeah, pretending to be the, you know, the noble paladin or the, you know, the there's one character who's like a gadgeteer and they keep making stuff and there's a chance that basically you'll say, I'm going to put this card out and then you've got to follow up with other cards, which determine whether or not your device that you've created is going to explode in your face or actually do what you intended it to do. Yeah, so right. lots of fun, but it's all about that theme um, and not really the mechanics. There's no strategy really yeah. in this game. And so when you sort of say character decks, it is like they are kind of just set decks. It's not like a deck Correct, building yeah, type thing. Yeah, exactly right. So you 
grab the Winky the Gadgety. I'm not remembering yeah. any of the names. <laughs> yeah. um, or Fluffy the Murderous Bunny. Um, <laughs> and all the characters. And there's, they've actually worked in a, a, a wonderful um, variety of different playing styles in there as well. Like the um, the Paladin does actually need to manage her uh, virtuousness over the, the course of the game. There's disadvantages <laughs> if she becomes less virtuous. I think she gets drunk faster or something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, so you just you just pick up a deck, and it's the game is so self-explanatory, and there's really only like three types of cards. It's like a card that does something, a card that interrupts something, or a card that causes a gambling round to start, and that's just kind of it. Yeah, um, yeah, very very simple, very very cool, and I yeah love it to death. It's not a game I've ever gone heavily into getting heaps and heaps of expansions, but I've got a few. I've got sort of ten characters there, and haven't played it in ages, and I really do need to rectify that. But great beer and pretzels game. Yeah. And look, you totally remind me, I mean, really two different kind of games leap to mind there as well is um, and one I can't remember the name of, but it was like a Kung Fu style card game where you are, it's all about building the like combos. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but the right way to play it is that idea. Like, I feel like it's one of those things that I have played at a mate's place over beers and yep. it's exactly that idea where sort of every time you sort of slap down a card to build out this crazy combo kung fu move, you know, then you you want to make sure you're kind of screaming out this combination of name, you know, the like the crane dragon spinning <laughs> kick, you know, or whatever it might be, to because the flourish is what it's all about, rather, you yep. know, and you're trying to think of it like, okay, yeah, if we are crazy characters in some 1970s kung fu movie then we have to be shouting out the names of the moves yeah it's just how it works um so i can't remember the name of that one but again totally a game where it was like yeah it was more for the the fun of doing it rather than any specific mechanic that made it a wonderful game um totally and then then the other one is just exploding kittens i mean you know it just it's so silly and hilarious in terms of just dumb fart jokes and weird kinds mm-hmm. of things and i know our kids adore that game <laughs> <laughs> i mean and that's a, that's probably a good thing as well i mean a, a thing to mention as well is that uh you know if you've got i mean look i don't have kids so this is not really a consideration for me but you're not always going to be able to slap down you know the latest heavy vital lacerta um you know economic simulation game you know with, with kids who you yeah, know, got much like everybody. Let's fans. sit down yeah. for three hours and learn it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, you know, and those those can be fantastic um, games to just bust out for kids. And there's even some like I think there are games that you can win over kids with uh, because of their theme. Um, but if you play that same game with adults, it's a very different experience and becomes yeah. quite strategic. I'm thinking uh, primarily of um, Hey, that's my fish. Um, yes, which is a game I love. Like I've got a few friends who've got kids. Um, I mean, if I'm around, I'll make sure I've got that on because it's a game I can play with them and they have a lot of fun pushing their little plastic penguins around and all that sort of thing. But I will also happily bust that game out with another adult and it becomes this incredibly tense, um, you know, mano a mano uh, kind of battle over your icebergs. Um, yeah, like... Yeah, it's like trying to cut off, you know, yeah, the best slice of the ice. <laughs> and there is, it's so satisfying when you just set somebody's penguin adrift on a you know on an iceberg <laughs> with absolutely jack all on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, completely. So yeah, I think um, it was definitely one of those ones where as well, I think you know when they first made it, 
because I mean, it's the I guess an interesting aspect to Dungeon Mayhem that you know it's had two expansions, but mm-hmm. that that first one it had a bit of personality to it, and you know, a cute art style and all that sort of thing, but. Over time, it's like it's this real embrace of the silliness that it had the potential to become through this Monster Madness expansion. And that it actually includes, and that sort of performative thing you were just saying as well, where they have included, like for certain cards, that the effect of that card demands the players do some kind of action. And so, you know, there's one where for the Beholder, everybody has to tell the Beholder how beautiful she is (laughs) um, or like... They, I can't remember if it's everybody takes damage if they don't kind of praise her in some way, or that you know, by praising her, you get to draw a card or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's one way or the other. Um, I think it might be to avoid damage, but there's even like a note in the FAQ which says, you know, like, well, what counts as praise? And they say, look, the praise can be dripping with sarcasm, you know, the the mm-hmm. you know, they the player doesn't get to to decide if something was true praise or not. It's uh, yep. you know each player gets to praise in whatever way they see fit. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a great opportunity for people to just have fun with it. And then there is like with Hoots Magoots, the owl bear, you know, the circus owl bear, um, <laughs> that that character has like a disco party card of some kind, which again it demands that everybody get up and dance and just bust out <laughs> some dance moves. Um, so, so like they've added all these kind of really dumb weird bits where you know I, there's a certain risk to that I guess where if you're not playing with the right group some people are gonna that's turn gonna turn flash, up their yeah. nose, um, yeah. but yeah with the right crowd that's definitely something that will actually yeah you know, get people having a lot more fun as well. There's actually a game, um, and this is just on that subject of getting people to do silly things. Um, this is a game that I own, have yet to play because of just what you've mentioned in terms of people turning their nose up at the idea. And it's a game called, oh God, and I'm completely blanking on it. Um, but it's a game by, uh, oh, it's Bunny Bunny Moose Moose. Um, <laughs> Great name. Which is a game, it's a fantastic uh, name. Uh, and it's a game made by a guy called Vlad Shavartl, who is renowned as the creator of some of the heaviest Euro games out there, such as Dungeon Lords, um, a game that we mentioned last time I was on, which is sort of like a civilization sim called Through the Ages, um, my favourite game of all time, Mage Knight, uh, but he's also the man responsible for code names. Um, a very varied designer. And Bunny Buddy Moose Moose is this weird game where you read out... Um, it's like it's basically Simon Says... Um, and you yeah, right. read out this poem about a rabbit getting hunted through the woods uh, by a hunter, um, and it's in this uh, sort of sing-song pentameter. And as you're doing this, on each syllable, you're flipping over a car card which will show basically either bunny ears or moose antlers, and those ears will be pointing up or they'll be pointing down, and or they might be floppy. Um, and basically yep. you have to match... Try and get them, and each card is worth a set number of points, and you've got to try and maximise the number of points by putting your hands up by your head (laughs) and using two fingers to indicate that they're rabbit ears or your whole hand to indicate that they're moose antlers and turning, you know, having one hand being a moose antler up and another one being bunny ears down or bunny ears up and your fingers are bent slightly to indicate it's floppy. (laughs) Um, And you're trying to maximise your score. So there's a lot of um, sort of real-time quick calculations, like what is the best configuration for my hands to be in? But, yeah, because you're getting people to 
do these yeah. stupid hand moves. Um, I have found it very hard to uh, to get to the table, and I think it might have to make its way to my uh, trade pile because I just don't think I'm ever going to get around to playing it, <laughs> which is a real shame because I, I, I really want to say it, it, it seems like a lot of goofy fun. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, spoil sports can spoil sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think this leads us into the next little topic I wanted to touch on because, you know, I'm... I, just recently started digging around kind of the, you know, the Kickstarter game type scene. Turn back. Turn back. <laughs> it's not I worth think, it. I think that was where I, what did I get? I got Arcadia Quest, um, the Seamon yep. game through that. Um, and so actually it's mostly when I'll get an email from Seamon saying, there's a new thing um, that I'll click Marvel it. Marvel Champions is out right now. And Marvel Champions, I think by the time this episode goes live, it, it might be over because I think it's into its last 24 hours yes, now. It is, yes. Um, but, I mean, again, I go and look at that and go, beautiful minis, lovely art style, a great license to get their hands on. Um, but then I do actually kind of sit there reading it a bit and going... I'm not sure exactly if this game sounds like it plays all that interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, of course, I just start clicking around other stuff as well. And mostly it is that thing where I'm just sitting there going, what's catching my eye and why is something catching my eye? And am I even bothering to stop to read whether or not something would be fun <laughs> to play or is it like these card game discussions where it's like, oh, the theme sounds fun, so maybe I'll give them some money. <laughs> yep, it's it's yep. this weird, weird feeling. But, I, yeah, I was curious about sort of your thoughts too on and it doesn't have to be Kickstarter TM, but any yeah, of those ways where, yeah, you're just yep. thinking about, all right, what is it that, that makes someone decide that's the, that's the game for me? So yeah, um, I've you know, uh, first I just wanted to correct myself. I said Marvel Champions. That's the card game of Fantasy Flight Games. The Simon game is uh, Marvel United. That's so just right. correction there. If anybody gets angry when they're listening, <laughs> um, I should also mention I am. I'm either a good person to be talking about this or the worst person to be talking about this because I just recently got my super backer badge on Kickstarter. Because I've backed <laughs> a lot of Kickstarter stuff. Um, I did a quick look up. Uh, just before I have pledged to a hundred different Kickstarter projects, 89 of which have been board games. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are the perfect person to, unless it is that you literally go, and in I'm five seconds, I just clicked the button. <laughs> yeah. And look, I've got the Marvel United page open in front of me. No, I won't actually be backing that. I have enough. Um, yeah, uh, games of that style, and uh, from memory, it doesn't have a solo mode. So that no, it does. It Ugh, does. It does. Look at that. <laughs> um, yeah, look. I mean, it, Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter's gotten a bit of an unfair uh, rap, to be brutally honest. Yeah. Um, a lot of people talk about, and I'm not going to deny for a second that this has made a lot of games very popular. Um, that it is this, uh, you know, place where people will put up a game it, it, the design may not even be that particularly well thought out um but damn it's got a lot of cool minis and the theme's really cool and suddenly it's this huge you know gigantic monetary success and then the yeah. game releases and people are playing it and they're like wow this game just kind of sucks <laughs> um 
And I think that has tainted a lot of people's perceptions and, and not just general public, but even people who are pretty heavily into board games. And I see it a lot on the, um, on, on the Dice Tower episodes. They free and Sharp and Sit Down also sort of talk about the, you know, the Kickstarter curse. And I don't think it's fair. I've got yeah. to really be honest. Look, those titles 100% exist. And yes, if you're an unknown person and you want to be seen on Kickstarter and make a lot of money on Kickstarter, yeah, sure plonk in um, a shit ton of miniatures and probably just make sure it looks good and you'll probably be fine. Um, but there is so much good Kickstarter stuff out there. And you were talking about sort of what what do you look for? Mm. I've had, personally, I've had an excellent run rate with Kickstarter. I've had one game that I would say hasn't really gone down well. I wouldn't call it a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. I just think there are much better games in that style out there. It's a game. It was a game called um, New Salem, and it was a uh, back when social deduction games were really big. I mean, they're still pretty big, but like really big. Um, that was a game that came out, and it just wasn't as good as something like, say, The Resistance. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, I've had a lot of success, and I think you just got to be a little bit clever about it um you need to look at who the designer is um have they had a good run so marvel united's a really good example the designer of that is eric lang um eric lang is the guy who created arcadia i mean it's eric lang and uh, andrea chiavesio um i can't say i know much of her work but eric lang yeah made um blood rage which is an amazing game uh made rising sun um made arcadia quest uh like this is a guy who's got some real design yeah. chops so having like i recently backed the um bloodborne kickstarter for the bloodborne board game primarily because i i mean bloodborne um but <laughs> b it's designed by eric lang um so yes i'm, I'm all in on that yeah um and you know i just recently i'm currently backed in at the back everything level for the upcoming IDW um, Batman animated adventures board game. And again, it's the designer. The the designer is um, Kevin. Oh my God. And I've just had a total brain fart and can't remember the uh, designer's name, but he's an extremely uh, well-known, well-known designer in the industry has made a lot of games Um, and uh, Kevin Wilson. And, um, you know, and again, I've gone in that and that's pretty, Knowing the designer, I think, is is a key thing. Um, but it's also there's so many people who do pretty good previews of Kickstarter content as well. So like Rado, um, Richard Ham, uh, who used to work for Splash Damage, I want to say, the game development company. Oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and he's now um, just does – he lives in Malta with his wife and he just does board game playthroughs and he'll actually play through them. Um, and some of my earlier Kickstarters were backed off him. So I, I, you just you need to look a bit beyond the flashiness, but sometimes it's okay just to buy the thing that's flashy. It's got the cool miniatures, particularly if, like me, you love painting your miniatures. Um, sometimes it's worth just buying something because the miniatures look cool, and you're just like, I don't even care if the game sucks. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll paint the miniatures and be perfectly happy and use them in my D&D campaign or just stick them on the shelf. Yeah. And, I mean... It's it's funny because I do feel like there's so many, um, I mean, yeah, there's so many layers, I guess, to just even trying to work out um, if you're going to like a board game in the first place, right? Mm. And so it almost feels like there's there's that same process. And in some ways, and look, um, it's a really good point that um, you know that when people might denigrate 
the way that sort of this Kickstarter stuff works, in many respects, the amount of information that's available to you, um, yeah, when is when someone's doing a really good job of this stuff, yeah, um, totally, is better than a lot of games. If you happen to just you know walk into a random you know, shop and just decide mm-hmm. to look, read the back of a box and make a decision about a game. It's like totally. the, the online shopping version of that um, can be, yeah, far more, uh, you know, uh, far more information involved with making mm. your decision. Well, I mean, board games have an advantage over other forms of media um, in, in this regard, in my mind, and that is that they have rule books. Yeah, and I think yeah, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be said for that, and I, I will do this for a lot of board games, even if I hear that they've been so a lot of Kickstarters. If they've done their job well, they'll have gotten the rule like the board game to a point where they can at least put out you know version 1.0 of the rule book. It's far enough along in development to allow for that, and that's going to give you a pretty good idea of how the game works. Um, and even stepping outside of Kickstarter, if it's something on the retail shelves, then you can definitely download the rulebook PDF. Like every board game yeah. publisher out there makes PDFs available. And when I play board games with my friends, um, and this is not for the purpose of trying to work out whether or not I enjoy the game or not, I'll download a copy of the rulebook onto my phone so we don't have to share the rulebook around as much. When we, I can just check things on, on my phone while yeah, we're playing. Yeah, that's handy. Um, so that's a huge advantage. And I think if... But to be fair, if you don't play a lot of board games, that's not that gigantic a help. You're you're not going to get, like, you need a level of board game uh, literacy, I think, to be able to read a rule book and have an idea of how the game is going to play. Um, You know, like, it's one thing to sit there and, like, you explain drafting as a concept to people, like, you know, 7-1 style (laughs) drafting, where you've got a hand of cards, you pick one card and you hand the rest along. A description like that, if you've not played a drafting game before, that sounds boring as hell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but drafting is one of the most fun board game mechanics there is. Like, it, it is an absolute, there is a reason why Seven Wonders is still so universally loved by people. And it is a game that is just drafting. That is all that <laughs> is to it. And it's great. It's a fantastic game and it's really addictive and fun to play. But I think, yeah, so I think you need that level. It's it's probably less of a help if you're not a big board gamer to have a look through a rule book. It probably could still help. But I think, uh, yeah, there's a level of, uh, as I said, sort of a board game literacy for that to really help. Um, then outside of that, you've got to rely on reviews. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I mean, I think it's... Yeah, I think a lot of this kind of discussion is probably it is probably helpful to someone who's not quite sure of what they're trying to choose or how they're trying to choose it. Mm. But as you say, I think you kind of in some some respects, if someone is say coming in quite fresh to wanting to explore this sort of stuff, in some ways you kind of just need to trip over yourself a few times along the road to just you know learning the genres you know in that Mm. same way that um i think you're so right that when we think about rule books um that's a completely different sort of experience to say oh well like this video game is an fps and you're like i mean that can mean a million things but Mm -hmm. it's it's a label that at least means somebody has a vague idea but in no way are they going to have a genuine sense of exactly how that game's uh you know how it's going to feel to play it and yep. what the experience overall is going to be like to 
you know, to dive in and actually you know, run through the story of that particular game. Mm. So there are so many more advantages, to, even if it is that somebody is still learning the different kinds of sort of board games that exist. Um, then it's like just, yeah, I mean, like go and just find out what the best ones are in a few categories, go and buy those, and then you'll start working it out pretty quickly from there, which means I guess that I'm arriving at that point of saying if if you're new to this stuff, don't go to Kickstarter first. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Not unless it's something like um, that, like a, a game that everybody's been getting into. And I missed the first Kickstarter of this um, because it, I just didn't have the funds at the time in my, uh, you know, fun money pile, um, which is more of a mound than a <laughs> yeah. pile. Um, uh, but it uh, was the first Kickstarter for Gloomhaven, um, yeah. which was a game I was very interested in. Um, I... Uh, bought, uh, had backed Isaac Childress, the designer's first ever game, um, Forge War, which I recently did a uh, solo run through of, uh, which was a bit of fun, um, and knew he was a good designer and was excited to see what he would do with his um, this second game. And I missed the first Kickstarter, and that game was huge. And I've seen a lot of people who don't play board games have grabbed Gloomhaven because they've heard about it, and I think it's still sitting at number one on um, the board game geek, you know, top rated games. Um, and yeah, so okay, I think if you get hear some good word, it can occasionally be worthwhile maybe jumping in on the second Kickstarter run, which happens yeah. to quite a few games. Um, not the majority by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know, Gloomhaven, Kingdom Death Monster, um, it's a game I backed recently, which is this, uh, Madara, is its second Kickstarter that I uh, jumped in on. Um, so yeah, occasionally there, there are some, but yeah, as a general rule, I'm going to agree 100% with you. Uh, yeah, avoid Kickstarter because it is it is easy when you're looking on there to go. And I've had so many friends do it. They've come to me and gone, "Oh my god, I just backed this game, and it's you know the day it, the Kickstarter has just closed, so their money's gone." Uh, they come to me, <laughs> yeah. "Did you back that game?" I'm like, "No way, man! That looks like a total failure. Like that, that game will be lucky to be made." Um, and they're like, "What? Why?" And I'm going, "Well, firstly, it, you, they've charged you forty dollars for a thing that's apparently coming with thirty-two kilograms of plastic." Um, you know, secondly, <laughs> the design is unknown, blah, blah, blah. You, there's all these telltale signs where you can tell a, a board game Kickstarter is going to go belly up. Um, so, yeah, it's much easier to fall into those um, traps. And I've seen it happen to a lot of friends who, yeah, back stuff and it's, yeah, been not a great experience for them. And even if the game has got made, it's typically been pretty bad. Uh, so, yeah, just jump onto, I wouldn't even say jump onto Board Game Geek. Speak to your board gaming friends. Um yeah. And the other they're all, they're all lurking. They're always around you. <laughs> exactly. And they've got a good idea of what are good. We call them gateway games. Um, I you know, feel sometimes that sounds a little bit uh, condescending, that term, um, to the game, not the players. Yeah. Because uh, it yeah. makes it sound like the game is something, well, a real board game wouldn't play that. But that's a load of hooey. Some of my favourite board games are gateway games. Um, but they'll know the games that are good games to introduce people to, like, you know, Ticket to Ride. If you want to let people know that board games can be much more fun than say a monopoly or what have you yeah get them to play tickets that game's simple yeah. as hell and god damn it's fun like i still play a lot of tickets to ride i love it i'm bad at it but i love it <laughs> well, honestly we, it, that's a crazy one where we still haven't played um another game of that since i remember photographing the board because my wife had essentially like a perfect game where she used every single one of her carriages in a single loop and, oh, wow. and that loop completed every one of her tickets 
That's um, impressive. And it was just like, you know, and like she had this massive score and we've just ended up taking a photo of it. And she was kind of like going, well, is that it? I guess I retire from this game now. <laughs> it's <was just> like <laughs> I can never play that game as well as I just played it ever again. So. <laughs> yeah, so in some ways it's probably the worst possible thing that could have happened. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> She killed Ticket to Ride for herself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There, there's there's the lesson. Don't be good at board games. You'll only you'll only make yourself yeah. sad. If you if you I, solve I it, that. yeah. If you if you perfectly solve the game one day, you'll suddenly wonder what to do about it. Uh, totally. <laughs> um, look, I was going to just one last little thing on the Kickstarter thing, and mm. because I think it's just worth as what. Well, like again, I think we've got into a lot of sort of nitty gritty stuff, but it's like it has kind of given so much to this era of you know of where board games have come back to as well and that i'm kind of wondering because you know more about the designers and stuff but i'm like how many of these modern era kind of big names in designing did actually sort of put out some of their first games through crowdfunding opportunities Mm -hmm. that just you know it just helped to kind of suddenly give people with great ideas that chance to just see can I get the funding I need to make this game or not? Well, it it, it really has, and probably not. I mean, and the number's going to grow. It's not a huge number at the moment because it's still a relatively newish thing. Um, but so Isaac Childress, I mentioned before, first game released on Kickstarter, Forge War, did well enough to fund. Gloomhaven so successful that it had two really big successful Kickstarters. Um, and you know, and as a result, Isaac Childress has gone on to he made Founders of Gloomhaven, um, which I it's not as good as the other ones. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> he is, but he is he's working with Rob Davio, the creator of Legacy Games, so Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy. Um, he's working with uh, Rob Davio on uh, the Return to the Dark Tower, which is the big. Um, production coming out from Restoration Games towards the end of this year, which is a remake of an old 1980s board game. And and Restoration Games themselves as a company exist because of Kickstarter. And they're a company that takes all these old games from the 1980s and makes them into modern versions with modern design sensibilities, but keeping that sort of core, you know, the the heart of the game that existed in their original versions. And then you've got um, Jeremy Stagmeyer, who's probably the biggest success out of Kickstarter right now. Um, of uh, Stonemaier Games. He's the guy who made Scythe. Um, and his first game, I think, was uh, Viticulture, which is highly regarded as one of the best Euro games ever made. Scythe was obviously a, a gigantic success, um, you know, in part thanks due to some beautiful art and some fantastic miniatures, but it's actually a really rock-solid Euro dudes-on-a-map-style game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've just released... Uh, Wingspan and all that. Now, Stonemaier Games no longer use Oh, yeah, Wingspan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which that's been – I haven't played Wingspan yet, but that's been getting rave, rave reviews Um, and also good to see a a female designer get some some credit, so that's good. Um, But, yeah, it's like this guy's entire company that he – and it's now like Stonemaier Games announced a game. The board game community gets very, very excited because he's not really released – any duds even his most recent game uh, tapestry has been pretty well loved um even though not as excessively loved as some of his other games but he um yeah they no longer use kickstarter but the whole reason that guy has a company is kickstarter 
he wouldn't be one of the most popular game publishers today if it weren't for his first few games being a success. So there are a lot of designers that are coming through that system that we probably wouldn't have heard about, you know, through the standard publishing model. There's yeah. a lot of people making games out there, like a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, publishers, it's the same, obviously, with uh, video game publishers and the like, but they're hearing pitches day in, day out. Um you know, getting a board game uh, funded through Kickstarter, which can be tricky. I mean, I've seen, I've, I've certainly backed a lot of uh, games that never hit their funding goals. But uh, yeah, I think you're, I think you're 100 right. I think there is a new breed of game designer that just either would not have even thought, even known how to break into the industry, but they've had yeah. a good idea, um, or just wouldn't have had the opportunity because their idea was too out there. Um, yeah, like there's a there's yeah, some pretty big popular names that people love today um, got their start on Kickstarter, which is very cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you know what else is a big popular name in gaming, Nathan? Do you like my segue? Oh, is it magic? (laughs) And what's the other one? That is kind Dungeons of and Dragons. Yes. How did you know? I have no idea. Maybe it was the my magic powers. <laughs> Maybe it was the uh, the show notes that might have given something away. A, a, a magician never reveals his secrets. <laughs> I, I can't believe you done. Wave of do the hands. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, I uh, yeah wanted to have a quick chat about this new D&D setting that's just uh, a you know, new source book that's just been announced because there's been actually a bit of a flurry of kind of new books announced just even in the last sort of from end of last year, last few months, we've had, you know, we had the Eberron book come out late last year, um, which was, that was a great kind of bringing back of a... Uh, I think that was released for 3.5. I don't think it was four. Yeah. So it was during the third edition era that mm-hmm. Eberron came out um, and built a really sort of big following. So it's sort of great to see it get its fifth edition version, um, which meant that the Artificer class, um, which is kind of like a steampunky, slightly kind of arcane class that's sort of now mm-hmm. back in fifth edition. So that was pretty cool for people with that. Um they did the Ravnica book last year, which was about sort of a Magic the Gathering tie-in to sort of one of the kind of hubs of all things Magic the Gathering and really trying to bring all those kind of Planeswalker-type, you know, discussions from Magic into D&D. And I have to say sort of I thought generally I'm like I'm not offended by anything because that's the lovely thing about a game like D&D mm-hmm. is you can take it or leave it. Yep. Um, but then... Yeah, we've just recently had the announcement of the uh, Wild Mount uh, campaign kind of source book, which is the world where Critical Role is set. Um, so sort of that's, you know, another kind of campaign environment that people can go and explore. Um, so like we've had a flurry of these sorts of books in recent months, um, which and it feels like at a pace faster than 
um, than the few kind of years before that. So, mm. you know, things have been you, speeding up. Do you think that could, like, what are your thoughts on why that's happening? Like, is it anything to do with the fact that Pathfinder is being encroaching on the territory? Because, I mean, just from what I don't play RPGs anymore, but I keep hearing so many people I know playing Pathfinder rather than D&D. Like, is this attempt to the, distinguish themselves a bit? Because as yeah. far as I'm aware, Pathfinder's only got like two campaign universes, I think. I could be 100% wrong on that. Yeah, it's a good point because I think in the couple of years before that, I think one of the main things that they were doing was releasing, I think they kind of would have maybe two major um, campaign-type books would come out each year. Like it roughly, mm-hmm. I think that kind of number, because they'd hold a big event to announce one and then there'd be sort of a second one later in the year. Um, but I like it seemed like they hadn't been releasing as much of that sort of extra material. Okay, no, you know what, I'm lying. Because I think what they then also did was, oh, like they've definitely been increasing the rhythm. So what yep. last year, um, fifth edition hit five years old. Um, so I do think there's been an aspect to the growth in actually the Twitch streaming side of things has, yeah. I think, meant they feel like there's more appetite for kind of feeding out a bit more of this um, campaign support material. And I th- mm-hmm. I think kind of one of the positives in a sense has also been that they have seen that people, you know, like we're five years deep. Back in the old days, they'd probably have almost been giving up on the current edition to try to sell us a whole new edition. Yeah, yeah. And so I think they've found, I think, a better kind of storytelling mechanism to give us more stuff and more rules options um, without kind of making it feel like, you know, like remember the old days they would do like there was the player's handbook and then they would do player's handbook two and then they would Mm -hmm. do the like the, the warrior's guide and like every class would get its kind of specific guide and you would almost feel like you had to buy them to play the game properly for some reason. Totally. Like, I don't know, maybe it was just younger my brain where I'm like, oh, I've, I've got to get all the books. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that was the strategy behind it. I mean, it was definitely the strategy and still the strategy for Games Workshop with Warhammer with the Codex books. Yeah. Like, if you want to know how to play Eldar properly, you needed Codex Eldar. Like, it's as simple as that. You might have had the rules to the game, but you wouldn't know all the... You know, spells and whatnot that you could cast and all that. I'm, I'm sure that yeah. was the, the thinking behind it. I said, I felt the same way as a kid. It was like, yeah, oh God, I, I need to get that. And, you know, and the fact that it was like the fact that you even just you had, you had the player's uh, handbook, you had the, the DM guide, um, you had the monstrous compendium. Like, you yeah. needed all that. Like, it was. Yeah. And, yeah. and particularly <laughs> to kind of keep, like, to keep kind of feeling, you know, like fresh. But I like I think there was something that I think they've they've gotten right in this kind of new way of thinking actually compared to the old days was remember they did used to release like lots and lots of just modules as a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of new cadence that they've hit where instead of it just being like here is an adventure and maybe in that you know, one adventure down the back, there's like two or three new spells. But apart from that, it's just you either want to play this adventure or not. Um, mm-hmm. This kind of new style that they've sort of hit on in the last few years is more that idea of going, oh, like we're going to 
explore, you know, the um, island of Chult off the coast of the, you know, the Sword Coast. and. Yep. And then it's like it is a campaign adventure and it's like it'll take you from uh, – and I've noticed that, you know, again, the old days would be they'll sell you a module and it's like this module is four levels 9 to 12. Yes. And oh, all God, that I kind of that. really specific slices, which kind of meant it was just so segmented, whereas now they release these books saying this is a campaign book, which means – Use this to to start a fresh game mm-hmm. with some people, you know, and dive in with level one characters, and then by the end you'll have gotten to level twelve or whatever it might be. But a big thing that they're then focusing on is that book is also just acting as a like, and then here's information about the cities of those islands, and here's information mm-hmm. about the people and the cultures, and and yeah, then maybe there is like a new subclass, you know, or even just new backgrounds and little kinds of bits of story fodder, right? So that it's like in the end you could say, actually, we didn't end up running that campaign, but I like pulled out some of that source uh-huh. material to then just use it so that when our home game did decide to go sailing off the Sword Coast, they could encounter these people. And, you know, maybe they just, you know, pick bits and pieces out of it. Um, But I think there was one last year. um, I'm trying to remember. I'm going to turn around for a second. Mm -hmm. No, I can't see it from where I am. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to eyeball it. Oh, uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. That's what it uh-huh. was. And in that book, which was this very kind of piratey sort of a um, a campaign book, the really big thing was that it was a way for them to say, here are the seafaring rules for 5th yeah. edition. And, but, you know, again, it's like we're not trying to just sell you a book that is the high seas book and it's just rules. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's a campaign book and here's a set of adventures but then also as part of that, it's like now for someone who now wants to get serious about spending time on the high seas, here's the rules that kind of you can now use to do some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they've kind of definitely gone for this sort of blended idea. But one of the things that I know talking to doing some interviews with some of the sort of higher up folks over there at um, the D&D side of Wizards um, is that they really feel like they always just try to start with story as the thing that they're emphasizing, that they want to just give story material to people who like to play the game. And then, you know, and then it's like, yeah, here's a whole campaign framework or here's just bits and pieces you can pull apart and use however you see fit. Yeah, it's an interesting switch. Like I was just, as you were talking about, it was the bit where you've uh, mentioned the level idea like you know this campaign is for these levels and that and switching to this concept of you know here's a campaign start here if you wish um and just a thing that dawned on me what do we used to call dungeons and dragons like real dungeons and dragons back in the day it was advanced dungeons and dragons <laughs> yes. you like it was so segmented like you kind of had to the expectation was that you would play dungeons and dragons basic edition that the the beautiful uh red cover book yeah then you'd go to um, blue, which was intermediate, and then uh, you'd get a blue was expert, and then green expert, was sorry. companion, and yep. then black was master, and then the rare gold edition, which had the immortals rules. That's like it was just this weird yeah. <laughs> segmentation of breakout. I'm, I'm much happier because other role playing games at the time weren't doing that. It was just like here's a here's a game. Yeah, like, here's, yep. here's our rule set. Call Cthulhu. Here you go. 
That's everything you need. If you want to buy a campaign and a story to go through, that's cool. Um, I'm glad to see that they've stepped away from that overly gatekeepery approach, and it's more like, yeah, as you were saying, like here's here's a story. Yeah, and I feel like go forth. Yeah, it's almost like this part of that which was you know, and it certainly sounds like from the stories you hear about, sort of the later days of TSR era when you know that apparently they would just like you know print like way too many copies of new books and stuff because they mm-hmm. were really really bad at management yes <laughs> um but that it was almost that idea of you know they just were kept searching for how many times a year could they get another 50 bucks out of us mm-hmm. you know whereas that yeah, was a lot yeah and i mean <laughs> they they really they worked hard they really <laughs> and i would buy most of them um, yeah all those new campaign settings um I've also got to say one of the most genius things they did, I think they were the only role-playing game company out there that actually pulled this off or any gaming company full stop was to make the novelizations important. Yeah. actually, Like Dragonlance was such a huge part of my early teens, like, you know, reading the stories of Racelin and and, and all that crew and Tasseloff and, and whatnot. And then that, I'm like, God damn it. Yes, I'm buying the Dragonlands campaign settings because this, yeah. this this world rocks. Yeah. And that was, that was so much fun. I remember like one of the first books I think I actually ever ordered through the post because of military simulations catalog, uh-huh. <laughs> um, the Dragonlands Adventures book. Um, yep. And oh my God, just, yeah, that was such a glorious moment to to get the, you know, the rules book related to the novels I'd just been loving. Um, yeah. You know, and then what the, uh, you know, Ara Salvatore books about Drizzt and his uh, yep. adventures in Icewind and all that sort of stuff. Like they did a great job actually on some of that, that kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, Is that still a thing in Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, they do. um I know actually like um, Salvatore is still writing stuff because mm-hmm. I think I did hear him interviewed on the like official Dragon Talk podcast late last year, I think it was, like that there is more stuff based on like Drizzt in particular. And, yep. Um, so he's such a popular character. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, there's definitely still a lot of the the novel stuff going on. But I like not in, I think not in that same degree that some of that, yeah that stuff was back in the day um though it's a good point i because i wonder if i would love i would totally read a novelization of the descent into avernus stuff that mm-hmm. just came out last year because that was you know the campaign of just going to hell and cool you know and <laughs> some like massively epic storylines um related to sort of some of the fixtures of um you know, of like some of the main characters in terms of the people who like run the upper layers of hell. Um, and, you know, I can completely see that the, the story of that campaign actually could be translated beautifully if they were like, yep, well, here's our canonical characters who are the ones that have now essentially gone through this adventure and had this mm. experience, you know, and it would almost be a way to say, and here's the canonical ending so that now yep. you know what the future of Avernus now looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, after the events that have taken place. Um, so yeah, that'd be that'd be great fodder for some of this stuff, um, tying it together. Um, by the way, yeah, if you didn't know much about the Avernus stuff before, um, they gave it a whole Mad Max flavor, like Fury oh wow, Road. okay. So that uh, yeah, within the 
within the whole framework of going into Avernus and like doing deals with devils and signing those kinds of contracts and all that kind of stuff, they they have these like war machines in hell that you could drive around in, much like like oh, crazy cool. tricked out. Um yeah, crazy tricked out vehicles in Mad Max, uh, particularly like the Fury Road type stuff, and and they were all powered by soul coins, and like the soul coins literally are coins that have like the souls of, you know, damned people in hell. Um, and- it has just given me this image of those rides outside supermarkets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next time you put a coin in one, the you scream put a coin in of a soul. <laughs> yeah, help! Help! <laughs> So yeah, they've. I think you know, they're doing a really good job on some of that sort of flavor stuff there for sure. And yeah, I'm going to double check actually to see what books are, uh, yeah, are out there for this sort of modern era of it all. Um, but this Eros. new book, <laughs> we knew. Yeah, we were talking before we started this show. It was like, oh, unless we get sidetracked. It's like, no, that was a great sidetrack. So <laughs> sidetracks rule. Um, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, this this new book, Mythic Odysseys of Theros, looks cool to me because it is technically a tie-in to Magic: The Gathering, based on um, the world of Theros, which, as far as I can tell, is. A newer, like, you know, maybe there's some old school cards that relate to this world, but mm-hmm. I know sort of in recent years, you know, they've started kind of getting more serious about story elements within, you know, behind the scenes of the cards themselves within Magic. But this kind of looks pretty new. And in a sense, part of me wonders, you know, if it was designed from the start to have a little bit of this idea in mind to say, if we're kind of fleshing out this cool, mythic greek hero kind of uh, setting and because you know magic has always happily played with all sorts of you know traditional story themed expansion sets and things like that but this lends itself so well to the idea of bringing it across to D mm-hmm. to give you this opportunity to do stuff like um you know fight uh you know fight mythic beasts and gain like godlike supernatural abilities for your characters and even the idea that it's going to bring in um new race uh race options like satyrs and minotaurs and leonin which is that's like the lion-faced uh humanoids from uh from from magic so like these suddenly i'm like yeah i call them kilrathi yeah (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) <laughs> and no, I just I like because I'm like well I just want to take like Minotaurs back over to some other campaign that I'm running uh-huh. because I yeah I know I know people who would want to be playing that so this is actually yeah it feels like a really nice thing that that gels in my head a lot better than I think the first Ravnica kind of crossover thing did. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm just in absolute awe of the cover art, this Hydra esque yeah. thing where the shadow. Like the shadowing of its body is like a galaxy that just, I that don't know glorious, if that's just artistic it? flourish or it's got something to do with the creature's powers or what have you, but it's yeah. a really good looking cover. Yeah. And I, cause I think they even, they do sort of mention the idea that some of the monsters, you know, that they've designed for this expansion are like 
crazily mythological kinds of beasts. And in that sense, I'm like looking at that picture too going, well, clearly this is some kind of galaxy hydra that yeah. is, you know, it's like, it's not just going to eat variety you. Hydra. Yeah, it's like it's going to send you into the astral plane or some kind of weird, <laughs> weird he, stuff he basically, going on. His intestinal tract is the Planescape um, setting. Ah, oh, please. <laughs> That'd be a great, like, that's their teaser on the last pages of this book. It's like, you know, Planescape coming back 2021. Woo! Do it. Make it happen. Oh, I'd love yeah. to. Like, that, that'd that probably get me back into Dungeons and Dragons. That, I've, it's, uh, sorry, we're sidetracking again. My apologies. No, all good. I didn't, honestly, I didn't have much else to say about this new book. It's no. kind of just, we've kind of just got this early info about it, but mm. it really caught my eye because I'm like, it's like a, instead of just for the, to just directly say, oh, we're going to do like a Greek heroes expansion. Even like that still feels more like the old way of doing things where they would just, yeah, just to try to sell you something. Whereas this feels like going, oh, we've got kind of the, the story and the cleverness of the design team involved with magic, working together with, the D&D team and coming up with this sort of stuff. And, you know, seeing that they've got the Leon and stuff in there as well, which I'd forgotten, it probably does mean that, you know, Theros is the kind of world where some of these, like, planeswalkers have been coming from for Mm. ages in the game. But just the vibe of it does make me feel like we're getting, you know, Greek crossover with really cool extra stuff. It's... It's Greek extra, man. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the, the magic play, I was stunned to, like, I had a a period where I dabbled again with magic um, about a year ago, um, thanks to just being given a bunch of magic cards, um, benefits of having known somebody who was working with Hasbro at the time. <laughs> um, and I uh, dabbled back into it, and it's like, oh, my God, I've forgotten how much fun magic is. Um, but then I discovered there was this whole story thing. And, like, I played Magic when it first released. Like, yeah. that, that was my introduction to Magic. And I kind of played for maybe a year, two years, and then, you know, met, you know, discovered girls or something. Um, and, yeah, I uh, it was coming back, uh, like, coming back from going, there's a storyline to this. And I've chatted to people who are competitive players and Magic judges and all that. One friend, friend of mine, she's like, oh, yeah, like, the the story to magic is freaking huge. And they had that wonderful animated cinematic for the most, I think it was the most recent sort of set or block. However, they describe their. Yeah, that's right. Or worlds yep. or what have you. And this like crazy intense, like looked like it was out at, you know, a world of Warcraft cinematic or something that, that Blizzard had done. And I, I was just blown away that there's this story out there that people are passionate about that exists within this world of cards. Um, and I shouldn't be shocked because I got massively into Netrunner and that's the, that's on yeah. as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, clearly there's this world that people are invested in and to take something that people already love and get them to explore it from a different angle and a different perspective, I think it's really, really cool. Like I think I don't doubt for a second, there are going to be a lot of magic players out there who, you know, Got in, jumped back into D and D through the Ravenica. Is that the correct pronunciation? Uh, Ravnica, uh, yep. Ravnica, um, and will be likewise super excited for this. And I think that's that's super cool. Similar to what they did with um, the Stranger Things, uh, yeah, campaign that they put out, which is just I thought was such a, a very cute 
cross-pollination. Yeah. Obviously, it's not set in the Stranger Things world, but it's the campaign the Stranger Things kids were playing, and that's yeah. just awesome. Um, it's yeah, such a I think good way to cool. do that as well, where it was just like a an old-school the it looked like the eighties box set. Oh, totally. Um, to yeah, again, just make it easy for someone to go. This is all you need. Just grab this, and then you can actually have a game. And yep, that's a taste. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely. Um, I think they've got no. There was definitely a slump for um, oh, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons there for a while. Um, I remember not being third edition was I was fine with. Um, fourth edition. I think that was, I mean, by that stage, I was pretty much on the way out with, yeah. with RPGs in general. Yeah, um, look, I, I remember with 4th edition, one of the big things that felt like, you know, and I've owned every one of them all the way through, and I feel like 4th edition, they were trying to do the thing of saying, let's learn from MMOs. It's like it's mm. like they somehow felt the dent that World of Warcraft put into the entire universe um, yep. You know, it didn't just murder other MMOs. It stopped Murdered people from RPGs. playing tabletop games. Um, yeah. But it meant they did things like, you know, try to say, okay, you're a, you know, your class is a tank class and your class mm. is a DPS class and all these kinds of terminology that they were trying to bring across from video games in a way that was like, oh, that's not what I want from my tabletop experience. Yeah. I want to just hang out with some friends and I don't and that sometimes that means I don't have a balanced party sometimes it means we've all decided to be bards for no apparent reason but we ended up having a stupid good time even if we failed miserably <laughs> yeah I mean there was definitely no a period of time there where it just felt like Dungeons and Dragons I think in particular was uh, and this is where the time where I felt that games like Call of Cthulhu and that were uh, and vampire were starting to really make themselves known, but used to have that joke about I don't like role playing games, R O L L playing <laughs> yeah, games, yeah. and that was typically a dig at Dungeons and Dragons because yeah, it was like they were trying to become a video game in in some ways. And you look at the, all the stuff that's really successful on Twitch now, um, uh, and you know stuff like Critical Role and what have you, and even uh, uh, what was Dan Harmon's TV show? Uh, oh yeah, show, uh, Harmon Quest. Harmon Quest. Um, People don't play like the the rules are a means to an end. They're not the end, but like, yeah. they're not why. Like the, there's a definite sense that um, the people who play RPGs these days don't care that much about things like Tharco. Like they're not min maxing their characters. Yeah. They're creating characters that are going to be fun to play in cool story situations, and that's what they care about. It's not you know how many dice they chuckle, yeah, you know, or, or optimization or and yeah, when you start talking about your class is a tank class or you're a DPS class, that's that's catering to a different audience. Yeah. That's catering to people who do want to optimize and you know, in theory, craft around. You know, if I put an extra point into my strength, then you know, like I don't think that's. It sounds that they've learned that lesson that that's not why people play role playing games. That's why people play strategy games, and computer games, and and some board games. Not yeah. why you sit around a table and tell a story amongst yourselves. Yeah. And look, yeah, one of my great moments when I started a home game with my kids was, you know, we we just, you know, came up with just a really simple story at first just to let them kind of roam free with the thing. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're from this village. And like the first big thing that's kind of happened was, uh, you know, this 
the town always took great pride in this book that was, you know, in the sort of the town hall and it was important and but it was kind of, you know, no one really knew much about it but it was important and I'm like and it's been stolen. And like my daughter just turned around and because she was playing a, um, a wizard mm-hmm. and she just turned around and went like, I know that book. I needed that to like pass my apprentice, blah, blah, blah. Like, and she oh, just awesome. jumped in with story. <laughs> and and I'm like, that's exactly what this is about. Like they get yeah, it. 100%. It's like, it doesn't matter a damn what exact spells and things you're going to do. It's like just diving in and saying yes to the improv that is telling a story, hanging around a table together, you know? So I think that's a great thing that they've managed to do is foreground that again and to get rid of a lot of the really crunchy side of the dice rolling, which you're right. Mm. I think I think some of that made people want to min-max um, even more because it's like, well, I need as many pluses as I, as I can get. Um, whereas, yeah, now with things like, you know, the whole advantage-disadvantage system in 5th edition, which is just that a really kind of simple... Elegant rule to say if you have advantage, it means you roll two D20s and you take whichever one was higher. And yep. If you have disadvantage, then you roll two and take which was lower. And and that can just apply through so many different effects and rules um, as a way to, again, it's inst- it gets rid of a lot of those other, oh, well, you need to take a minus two on this, but it's a minus four on that other thing and, mm-hmm. and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. It just It was a great way to sort of just clean up that whole idea and say yep here's an elegant idea and quite clearly that's going to create a big advantage or a big disadvantage depending on what you're trying to do so um i mean they've got uh, just one question they've initiative is now group based isn't it in fifth edition um no so yeah it's it's it is uh back as an individual thing i think i think it might have been like so you don't roll every round i do remember at some stage like there were considerations of rolling every round and things like that but um yeah like one of the quite elegant systems i've seen some people use i know because we play in a game every few weeks up at one of the local shops and um some of the dms uh they've now they've got pegs that they've kind of marked up um, and they'll like they'll just put little sticky things on them so that um, whatever character is at the table, they'll then when they're calling out the initiative for a round, they just kind of drop the pegs onto their DM screen so then they can really oh, cool. yeah. easily see the sequence and so can we um, instead of trying to remember all the time. Now, who was next? And Yeah, and, I hated that level of bookkeeping. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, it's, yeah, it's an individual system um, and... Um, I'm trying to remember. I th- no, like it is. There's a pretty clean number that is just your like plus two initiative on any yep. given uh, any given thing based on your character and you know whatever cool stuff your character might have. Um, I know, like you know, then there are like bonus rules and things. So you know, I think I think my daughter was playing a specific kind of rogue in one of the games up at the shops where you know on the first round, what was it? Yeah, I think. Um, it was like an ambusher kind of a subclass option mm-hmm. and it meant that that you know she got like some extra bonus on initiative and would always get advantage on the first round and like stuff like that um, just as kind of a cool again just a little mechanic that kind of feeds into the story of this character being all about you know setting the trap or being the ambusher um, so yeah lots of kind of things like that but one thing I think we did want to touch on was that idea of which of the old school things you wanted back. You wanted Planescape back. 
I remember Planescape yeah. and probably Dark Sun even more than Planescape. Yeah. I just loved that sort of it was almost like Conan by way of Mad Max. Yeah. And just that really sort of brutal desert world. Like I always remember it being such a big deal that your characters actually started at level four, I think, because the world of Dark Sun was so brutal that a level one character wouldn't be able to survive, which is such a ridiculous concept. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, just yeah. change the scaling of the monster. Like, yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> but I loved I loved that world. But, yeah, I also loved um, – I did love uh, Planescape just because of the purpose it served as a – cool, I've bought over the years five different campaign settings and I really can only play one at a time. Oh, but now I can get this other campaign that totally gives me an excuse to link up Dark Sun to Forgotten Realms to Spelljammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like, so what I now would it have... feel like to drop a Dark Sun person into the Forgotten Realms? <laughs> exactly. Like it was, I loved that idea so much. And I, look, and I'm probably also a little bit biased because one of my favorite computer games of all time, Planescape Torment, um, that always, you know, that's made that such an evocative. Uh, yeah. world for me that I do love the Planescape universe. But and yeah, that's such cool campaign settings. Yeah, I remember very, very clearly the timing on that as well because I remember looking at Planescape for quite a long time and just being like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know if it's for me. And then I remember it was discontinued and it was discontinued just before Planescape oh, no. came out. Oh, and no. Because I, I very clearly remember thinking... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! They they need to undiscontinue it. Yes, so seriously. many people are now seeing the potential of this <laughs> this setting, and you can't buy it anymore. <laughs> and it was a DM's delight because I mean that's a you know here's a campaign universe where beliefs have form. Yeah, like that's such a cool idea, and you can do so much interesting stuff with that. Um, yeah, look, yeah, I that's also a, that's a yeah I ran um. I did run a big Dark Sun campaign for a long time for mm-hmm. a bunch of friends. Um, though I do also remember the horrible hack that was involved with that game because um, because of the old percentile strength system that was in second edition, yep. um, meaning that you could play certain characters in uh, in Dark Sun where because, again, it let you have your stats go up to 20 rather than only to 18 because, again, yeah. you're so much harder yeah, but for strength, <laughs> it would literally mean if you could get a strength of 19, but which then jumped past the whole percentile system, like you had godlike strength. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so even if you weren't like some warrior, you'd be like, mm, is there a way I can just get to 19 on my strength? Which, again, it was such an encouragement to min-maxing. <laughs> uh-huh. It really was. But yeah, I yeah. think um, no, I missed that one a lot. And Spelljammer was one I actually played a campaign, a campaign, a campaign. A campaign in. <laughs> I can find that word um, for quite a long time with some mates too. And that was again, I mean, that was almost similar to Planescape in that it created this, you know, flying through space connective tissue for different prime mm-hmm. material planes and things. Um, and it was a lot of fun. But I do remember that was definitely there was a tension there where some of the people in the game really wanted to get into the whole ship-to-ship combat type thing. Ah, uh, yep. And I kind of intentionally made one of my characters, um, like, it was a bit dim, 
because I was just like going that that whole flying around thing that can be somebody else's problem. I'm going to play <laughs> somebody who just hits things really hard and they point and I'll go and hit them. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and that way I knew okay, oh, it's ship combat time. I'm going to get another drink. <laughs> yep. It's it's funny I had a, I had the reverse scenario back when we were playing the um the Star Wars role playing game and that was I made a character who was the best goddamn pilot in the galaxy. Um and so little of that game happened in space but we ran a very storyteller driven sort of thing so there was still plenty of stuff for me to do interacting with various people we'd meet and blah 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 um but it was just i, I had such a thrill when you get to those moments when it's just like you know shit we got to get off this planet and he's like there's that ship and then everybody just turns to me and have gone i got this fellas you know <laughs> and it was just like yeah it's my turn <laughs> time to shine <laughs> it was i loved that so much like i'm useless for 90 not useless, but I'm not really excelling at anything for 90% of the game, but that 10%, boy, aren't you glad I'm in the party. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, yeah, oh, my God, that's that's so perfect. Actually, that particular character that I was talking about, um, the DM let me actually make that character. Um, his backstory was essentially that he was kind of a like a golem, but like a you know, very human-type golem. But, you know, mm-hmm. some, some wizard had made him, and so it meant he was very stupid. Um, but it meant I sort of, you know, my rule with the DM was I'm like, I'm going to be so literal in the way that they Love give it. instructions so that it, <laughs> it was so often that case of, you know, a bit like there was one time I was being told, you know, guard the stairs on the ship. If, you know, anybody comes up those stairs, you know, then you just attack them. And of course, like then one of the party members is like run down there to fight somebody and then coming back out. And I'm just like, but this, I was told I have to fight him now. <laughs> it's like, I don't make the Love rules. It. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, one last thing about Theros, which I think is mm. more of a, a note about, I think, the great system that they have had about supporting local stores. I don't know if you've still got that page open, but there's that yep. alternate art cover. Um, the kind yes. of smaller version. Um, so yeah, this is this great system they've been doing for every one of the expansions. Is that there is an alternate art option only available through your local game stores? Oh, that's very cool. So you know, pre-order it, and it means that they then know which stores you know they need to try to allocate some mm-hmm. to. But it's just such a good way to have you know that thing going. Yep, there is going to be a special art option that you can't order off the internet. So yeah. it's like maybe it means you're going to pay a couple of bucks extra, but it's like standard price. It is just that it's there for stores to encourage people to come in and get it that way. So it's kind of been one of those really nice extra things that they've been making sure to do to keep supporting local stores for the fact that that's often where heaps of people are playing as well. Mm. That's, you know, I think stores have been doing such a good job of, setting up local campaigns like like i said i've got a local shop here in barrel that actually you know started last year they started running a fortnightly um curse of strad campaign um which is essentially the modernized ravenloft loft um but yeah so you know every couple of weeks we get to head down there and if we miss a week it's like it's no big deal because we just jump back in wherever they're up to and everybody just rolls with it because again it's not really about the specific part of the story we're playing it's Mm -hmm. about hanging out with everybody and having an awesome time (laughs) that's great all right we should wrap this thing up um indeed it has been wonderful chatting to you again nathan i'm always pleased to get deeply sidetracked with you to talk (laughs) random game stuff 
And likewise, um, absolute pleasure. Where should people try to find you on the internet if they feel like yep. following you or hassling you about your opinions? Um, and I'm always up to have my opinions hassled. They deserve to be hassled. They're bad opinions. <laughs> um, you can find me uh, predominantly on Twitter under Lprez, E-L-P-R-E-Z-A-U for Australia. And that is where I am. Awesome. Um, and, yeah, big thank you to all you listeners out there. You can find all... All you can find all the back episodes of this show. Um, last year, actually, early game table episodes. There's a bunch of interviews with some of the senior people involved with D and D, and about sort of their, um, you know, their thoughts on the whole resurgence and and the things that they felt they were trying to put in place when they were designing fifth edition that they think have kind of come home to roost uh, in the years since then, you know, that have proved out that they were on the right track when they were coming up with their latest redesign. Um, but heaps of stuff you can track down there. You can see it all on biteside.com. You can follow Biteside on at Biteside and I'm at Seamus on Twitter. I'll put all the links in the show notes anyway. Until next time, we'll catch you then. Bye. 